0: listening to the Bellator Christie podcast brought to you by bellatorchristie.com now join your host Brian Chilton as we enter the arena of ideas Music
1: Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics and entering into the arena of ideas, this is the Bellator Christi podcast, and this is your host, yours truly, Brian Chilton. We want to thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Hope you're doing well wherever you may be. Uh, we want to let you know about uh, that this podcast is brought to you, of course, by bellatorchristi.com, and we encourage you to go to the website, where you can subscribe and receive all the podcasts and uh, articles that are posted by myself and guest writers in your inbox absolutely free. Uh, We are now also on iTunes. Uh, You can go and subscribe to the show. There are some links at the website that you can follow. Uh, that uh, will get you set up. Take you to the to the link where you can subscribe. We're also on Stitcher. And now I uh, have great news to announce to you that uh, everything is cleared, certified, and has gone through. We are back on the TuneIn uh, radio app. In fact, uh, the great news is is if if you've already subscribed to the podcast, uh, you don't have to resubscribe. They've actually uh, changed. Uh, the, uh, the settings with the previous podcast and incorporated those over uh, with the new podcast. So so we're all set to go. Uh, if you haven't uh, joined us on TuneIn Radio app, we do encourage you to do so. Uh, there are some links at the website that you can follow. Just uh, simply go to TuneIn Radio app, type in the Bellator Christie podcast, and uh, subscribe to the podcast there, and you can catch every single one of the podcasts uh, that are that are posted here uh, on BellatorChristy.com. So again, we thank you for joining us today, and hope you're doing well, well wherever you may be. Uh, today is a is a very good podcast. We have uh, with us uh, a wonderful friend, a wonderful individual uh, who is a an apologist. And so uh, we're going to talk a lot about apologetics today on this podcast. We're going to talk about the church's involvement and the need for the church's involvement to be in apologetics uh, in this podcast as well. When we talk about apologetics, uh, apologetics is the enterprise of defending the principles of a certain belief. Nearly all worldviews have apologists who defend its cause. For instance, atheists have apologists in the likes of Lawrence Krauss and Richard Dawkins. Christianity also holds many apologists as well. Apologetics becomes crucial, particularly in times when our cause is met with great opposition. And truthfully, I think we all can agree that Christianity has been met with many challengers across many spectrums in our modern times. In fact, I want to read to you a a quote from Douglas Gruthius in his book, Christian Apologetics, A Comprehensive Case for Biblical Faith. He says on page 92 that Christianity means far more than holding a worldview or supporting its rationality through apologetics, although these are necessary for Christian witness. The Christian worldview, because of its objective and compelling truth, inspires a distinctively Christian way of living. So apologetics not only affects us intellectually, the intellectual pursuit of apologetics actually carries over into many other, many other avenues as well. When an apologist defends the truth, he goes on to say, rationally and uh, pertinence of Christianity, he or she is also advocating a Christ-centered, spirit-led, Bible-honoring way of being. The Christian worldview summons people to follow Christ, to recognize and obey the truth that sets them free. So again, one would think that the church would embrace apologetics, but such is not always the case. Many pastors and many laity alike from uh, churches across many different lines have stood opposed to the enterprise of apologetics. And so discussing the need for the church's involvement in apologetics today is apologist Rob Lundberg. Rob Lundberg is the Ratio Christi Chapter Director at Germana Community College in Fredericksburg, Virginia. He is the founder and director of the Real Issue Apologetics Ministry and a sales consultant at Huber Motor Cars. He received his Master of Divinity in Systematic Theology and Comparative Religions at Mid-America, Theological, Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary, completed work in computer science and philosophy of religion from Oklahoma Baptist University, and received certification in Christian apologetics from Biola University in La Mirada, California. So it's a joy and honor to welcome with us today, Rob Lundberg. Rob, thank you for being with us on the Bellator Christie podcast.
2: Brian, thank you. It's a blessing. Um, I remember when we met face to face the last uh, uh, National Apologetics Conference. I, I think I ran into you, bumped into you at uh, a, a table, and didn't realize who you were the previous year. And then we had a chance to spend time of fellowship. So it's good. It's a good opportunity for us to get together.
1: You know, absolutely, and I got to tell our listeners we had a wonderful conversation Wednesday, and uh, although although my accent doesn't give it away, I have some friends, uh, or actually some family who live up uh, around the the Nashua, New Hampshire area, and we had a chance to talk because uh, you're originally from the Massachusetts area, and uh, you told about, told me that you had some family who uh, were friends with the great Rocky Marciano.
2: Uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, my grandfather grew up with Rocky Marciano. Um, I just dropped an R there. Just <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, the, when, when Those of us from Massachusetts, we have a tendency to drop R's where they need to be. But, uh, yeah, my grandfather grew up uh, around Rocky Marciano. We knew the Maccagiano family. Um, my grandfather uh, played 74 baseball. Uh, Rocky had fascination uh, in his younger years, he was younger than my grandfather, and um, I had a fascination to be a catcher like my grandfather, so there's a little bit of connection there.
1: Yes. Rocky Marciano, obviously one of the great boxing legends of all time. Uh, And it was, I remember our conversation, matter of fact, I think our conversation down in Charlotte was uh, on this very topic about the need for Christian apologetics in the church. And we both discussed some of the, uh, I as a pastor and you as an apologist, some of the, the, uh, the, the problems that we have had incorporating apologetics in the modern church. Uh, So, first and foremost, if you would, uh, tell us about how you came to faith in Christ. Tell us about your journey.
2: i will be more than happy to do that. I was um, raised in the Congregational Church in New England. I went through confirmation, grew up in youth group, and um, I struggled around age 15, 16 years of age and started hearing about how people were thinking so-and-so was a hypocrite and and really started uh, questioning. A lot of things. And then hearing like, well, this is what they believe, what they don't believe. And I'm thinking to myself, well, um, if that's the case, you know, I'm, I'm why should I believe it? You know, what 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 good is it? I mean, you know, if you can't answer for me why we believe what we believe, this is like in the 70s. And um, long and short of it all, I, I became a skeptic. So I, I, I was a closet skeptic because my parents, <clears throat> they raised us going into church, and they said, you, you know, unless you, um, you you turn 18, you know, you can make your own decisions, but until you turn 18, you're going to be in church. Well, at age 18, I I was in and out of church, a steeplechasing. I was going from church to church, and um, I, I, as as a, as a skeptic, I'd be asking uh fellow students when i went to bridgewater state college uh my first two years of college um why do why do you believe this you know you run into a christian and they they go and you ask them why are you a christian and they said well the bible says uh, christianity is true and uh well jesus changed my life and a lot of times what happens is they were giving me their personal testimony and i'm sure we'll get into that a little bit later but um i'm thinking well you know that doesn't that doesn't do anything for me you know um so somebody challenged me, uh, I was at a Thanksgiving Day football game, and a friend of mine had a life change. He, in other words, he got saved, and he was, we stumbled into one another, and he was getting ready to go overseas with the army, uh, as a, as, with a tank unit, and he challenged me to refute the resurrection. Well, um, by this time, I was amenable to going back to the Bible and looking at the Gospels, and this was before Al Gore invented the Internet, of course. Uh, we didn't have the Internet at the time. That was a joke. Um, and I looked at the Gospels, and I ran into Jesus' statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father put, uh, but through me. And uh, I, I had to put that to the test. And then I went to the Gospel records where Jesus had... Um, um, appeared to his disciples and and remembering that no one comes to the Father but by him and him saying that he's the way, the truth, and the life, I'm asking myself, is this credible? And then the very fact that he appeared to his disciples in in Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel and John's gospel and even in, in Mark. Um, looked at those passages and... and it, uh, these folks were these folks who had died for belief in their belief in Jesus except for a very difficult culture uh, that was uh, um, ruled by Rome so shortly after this time of investigating the Gospels um, somebody you know mind you I, I hadn't heard the Gospel now when I say the Gospel I'm referring to that which is, which is given to us by the Apostle Paul in 1 first, in first Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. It says that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and he was buried. He rose on the third day according to the Scriptures. And then, of course, you get the roll call of all those that he appeared to. Well, um, I heard the gospel for the first time, and the Holy Spirit was, was like the hound of heaven nipping at my heels at that time, as it was because of being in the Word of God and and reading the word of god and studying the 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 resurrection passages and um a man by the name of johnny hall this was a a gospel concert and johnny hall had been a um, music evangelist with the billy graham crusade of course he shared the gospel that night my life was changed uh the holy spirit uh, flipped the switch if you will from unbelief to belief and um, i was beginning a whole new journey and my life was totally changed my when I got home um, my parents who were basically C&E churchgoers uh, Christmas and Easter churchgoers my mother um, at the time uh, she said something happened tonight I I can't put my finger on it and I said mom my my life has changed Mm. and she says I hope so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so um, I'm not going to get into the, the 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 drag down as far as what I was into. I were, really wasn't a bad skeptic. I wasn't like Richard Dawkins or anybody like that. But I was I was kind of stubborn, uh, kind of no, I was really stubborn, and um, I, I kept my skepticism quiet. And one of the things that really was the turning point for me. I I want to backtrack just a little bit. I was a freshman in high school at this time. I was tracing back and I was thinking back of our conversation the other night when we were talking. I was in a study hall and there were these two girls. um, They were saying that they had talked to somebody in the church. And this was around the time I was thinking of being a skeptic. And I had a reputation of being a nice church boy and I, I looked at them and they said well you know they were kind of like needling me saying you know Robbie's a nice church boy and uh, I looked at them. I said no I'm not I'm, I'm an atheist and that was my first declaration and I didn't even know what that meant I mean now uh, we look at atheism today and uh, it's a little bit more venomous um, it isn't it isn't robust, unless you talk about people like John Gray and Brian Leiter and, and Alex Rosenberg and and some of the other guys like Kai Nielsen. Um, they have a more robust scholarly type of atheism, if you want to call it that. But I'm talking about the pop atheism. We didn't have that back then. Right. Um, shortly after my conversion, I went back to some of the folks that i had spoken with and asked why they were christian told them about what god did and how they changed me and i i went to a christian bookstore they, they referred me to a christian bookstore called the heritage house and i stumbled on josh mcdowell's book that was in two volumes at the time of evidence that demands a verdict oh, and brian yeah. i read that from cover to cover marked it up with all kinds of uh, uh highlighters and stuff it looked like a rainbow study bible
1: I tell you, God has used Josh McDowell's book, and in my life as well, it was his book was one of the well, one of the books that uh, brought me back to a right relationship with the Lord, and just having conversations with many people who have been influenced by Christian apologetics. Usually, that book will be among the list of the influential players uh, that has impacted them at some point in their lives. Well, absolutely. Um, when when we speak about apologetics, and 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 your testimony is one um, enriched with the power of Christian apologetics, you know. And 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 we'll talk a little bit more about this a little later. But you know, you hear you hear the people make the objections. Well, people don't come to faith through arguments. People don't come to faith through Christian apologetics. Well you are an example of someone who came to faith through apologetics. I mean, you think also of, uh, I think Josh McDowell is one, J. Warner Wallace is one we could include in that list. So uh, apologetics is an important enterprise. So when we speak about apologetics, what are we referencing? You know, perhaps there are some first-time listeners to the podcast, and they're listening to apologetics, and they say, "What? Are, what is this all about? And I'm sure you've heard this as well, I've heard many people say, well, apologetics, does that mean that you're apologizing for being a Christian? What exactly does it mean? So if you would, explain to our listeners what we mean when we talk about apologetics.
2: Apologetics um, is is the most popular passage that we have uh, about apologetics, or the command or the mandate for apologetics, I guess is probably the better word. Is found in first Peter 315 which says set apart Christ or sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart and be ready always to give a reason a defense for the hope that's within you with gentleness and respect now um, what apologetics is is about that very thing about giving reasons why we believe what we believe it is not arguing somebody into the kingdom of heaven it is not uh, bringing in a dose of facts to create confusion to the person and to make the gospel sound more profound. It's, um, it's about giving reasons why we believe what we believe. As you introduced it with um, with Doug Grotice's quote from his book, um, apologetics is the handmaiden to evangelism. Mm-hmm. Uh, apologetics, um, the word apologia, is where we get our word apologetics it's a legal term Uh, it's used about six to eight times in the new testament and we see it all throughout the even the old testament do you realize that even from the very first verse of uh, where it says in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth when moses wrote that he's using a plural name for god elohim and he's using a third person singular verb in barah which means created out of nothing now when you look at that you think of who moses was and he was from a polytheistic culture and yet he's using the word elohim because of the divine revelation that he had of the direct uh, the, the divine disclosure if you will of god revealing himself to him and 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 I'm sure there was a lot of interaction that was going on. You know, we have to go beyond and think that maybe there's more interaction that we have in Scripture. But why did, why did Moses use the word Elohim? Well, he must have some type of idea of who God is. Well, he's from a pagan culture. And it isn't an interesting that he uses a third-person singular verb. Hmm. Here we have a direct, or I'm sorry, not a direct, but an indirect reference to possible, the triune nature of the Godhead right out of the first verse. Amen. And then, if you look at Elijah at Mount Carmel, and he's going and dealing with uh, the pagan priests and talking and, and debating who's God and which God is the greatest. And then you go to uh, Isaiah, and God Himself even says, "Come, let us reason together." Christianity has good reasons why it, why it is true is against against all other of the great quantitatively speaking religions not qualitative but quantitatively speaking but apologetics is all throughout the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament Uh, the whole uh, Bible I think is an apologetic for for the existence of God Um, and and the Gospels uh, and the New Testament is an apologetic for the risen Jesus and why uh, a personal relationship with him uh, brings meaning and purpose in life
1: I mean, so apologetics isn't just something philosophically based. It's rooted, as you have noted, in the biblical text. In fact, I've even heard, you know, you, you could even say that God and, of course, Jesus himself is the, perhaps the greatest apologist because, you know, my understanding is even with the ten plagues um, that happened in Egypt, uh, those ten plagues were directed towards uh, some of the gods, of Egypt. So in other words, God is showing, hey, I am greater than these gods that you've made, you know, which is a form which is a form of apologetics itself. Well now and and speaking of apologetics, um so we're talking about a defense for the faith. We're talking about giving the hope or the reason for the hope that we have as believers. Well, carrying that over, why is apologetics necessary for modern Christianity?
2: Well, One of the things I've alluded to already is that the Bible commands it. Right. But also, reason demands it. You know, you think about the fact that, you know, somebody says, well, I'm a Christian. You say, you ask the person, you ask the person, well, why are you a Christian, not a Buddhist? And a lot of times what happens is that person will give their personal testimony. They're not not—they're telling us how they became a Christian. They're not telling us why they became a Christian. So reason um, demands that we explain why Christianity is true and not how we became Christians. It isn't like I went to a, a, a coffee shop and somebody gave a talk and they were talking about... Uh, why jesus was a good moral teacher and so I, I and he gave gave an altar call and and hence now i'm a christian no christianity has a reason for example why why jesus is risen from the dead the fact is a historical event of a crucifixion the disciples eyewitnessed uh the risen jesus and they were willing to die for the testimony and, of course, you, you know, you probably recognize the, uh, the minimal facts that I'm throwing down here that Gary Habermas and Mike Lacona um, like to share. But, uh, but not only this, but you have two skeptics, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, second to Jesus, was probably the greatest apologist, only second to Jesus. Right. And you mentioned that Jesus was an apologist. Um, you look at Matthew 22 and then uh, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. One group believed in the supernatural; the other ones didn't believe in the supernatural. The Sadducees were talking about whose wife will this guy be if he if he marries his he marries his uh, wife and, and then he dies and then the next and the, he has got seven brothers. Um, one brother has to go and fulfill the law, so he marries and then he dies. Whose brother will she be in the resurrection? Of course, the, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees go and throw down a, a question, trying to trick him and say, should we pay taxes? And what did Jesus say? Well, he says, whose image, he's, who, whose image is on the coin? Right. He didn't say, yes, you should pay taxes. Um, it was a, it was what they call a, a loaded question or a question um, that had, uh, uh, it was a faulty dilemma that they had created for Jesus, which is an informal fallacy today. Right. Uh, sometimes we'll get, we'll um, be asked the question, is abortion right or wrong? And of course, all of a sudden we'll get, ah, you know, the brakes come on. And um, that's a that's question that, that presents a faulty dilemma as well. G- in Jesus' case, did you pay taxes? Or if he says no, then the Romans have them. And then if he says yes, the Jews have them. What did he say? He says, whose image is on the coin, the render to Caesar what is Caesar, the render, render to God what is God's. Ultimately, he could have taken that further. I like what Robbie Zacharias says, he's asking the asking them, whose image is on you?
1: Oh, that's a great question.
2: But, you know, the very fact that reason uh, demands it, also the culture expects it. You know, we're gonna talk about evangelism uh, and apologetics, I'm sure, but uh, the culture's changing. And the church needs to realize that the culture is changing. It's funny because the morning my wife and I were talking about um, the culture and how pastors today um, aren't out in the culture to see the culture changing as much. And I'm not going to get into that. That's probably a whole nother podcast. But um, whether we realize it or not, if you talk to a person, you start sharing the gospel with somebody and all of a sudden they just put the brakes on the conversation they say that's true for you, mm-hmm. that's not true for me, right? We live in that type of culture, we live in a narcissistic culture, we live in a materialistic culture. A lot of these ideologies are not new, a lot of these ideologies even were back around the time of ancient Rome with the Epicurean society of the Roman government. Uh, our, our culture has become really Epicurean, you don't find many Stoics, but. Somebody who's a Stoic, who's basically just all reason and, and just stone cold, no emotions. Uh, we live in a in a in a culture that, you know, experience whatever you can. It's hedonistic. It's materialistic. It's narcissistic. Culture demands that we give a reason why Christianity is true.
1: And you know, you mentioned something that I think I think you're right. I think a lot of times we're we are guilty in, and I guess this has been the benefit, as that for me that God when when He brought me back in the ministry, it was apologetic based So I'm, I'm I try to stay atop and afresh of all the challenges that are coming out and coming down the pipe. But for for many, there is a vacuum that takes place, and there's almost like a little bubble, and there's no realization for many people about what. Is actually going on in society and we have to be in tune with that you know to to be able to offer a defense for the faith so I think that's a a great uh, a great point made and I also love for me with Jesus I've always loved the story where uh, John the Baptist you know even the great John the Baptist had moments of doubts when he's facing uh, prison facing death and so he asks his disciples to go ask Jesus, is, is, go ask Jesus, are you really the Messiah or should we expect someone else? And in Luke's gospel, his version, he shows that Jesus performs all of these miracles in front of their eyes. He, he heals the blind. He raises the dead. He, he heals the lame. And then he says, go back and tell John what you've seen. So, you know, I think that shows that God will give us evidence and we as believers need to share that evidence with others um as as part of evangelism which we'll talk about that here in just a few moments now you work um you work with the the youth at uh, germana community college in fredericksburg uh, virginia what are some of the greatest intellectual challenges facing our youth today well um uh, do we have time? Uh, I know we don't have time to cover all of it, but is it so big we? Can't?
2: Uh, yeah, we don't. No, we don't. I, I think um, I think it comes from multifaceted. Let me. I, this a video of uh, that Jay Warren Wallace was talking with somebody, and I think he puts it quite nicely. And I just put it this way: um, you, youth today, if they're in college, they have their, they have their professors. If they're coming out of Christian homes, 60 to 80 percent of the kids are walking away from their faith, and a lot of it is because they haven't been uh, trained in why they believe, why we believe what we believe, and the fact that when they run into a professor who's a skeptic of any any stripe, um, they run into them. So the professor throws down some argument, and then, of course, the peers who don't know Christ, uh, they find out that they're a Christian because they... The college and the university settings are the marketplace of ideas, so you get all people, different, all kinds of smorgasbord worldviews and stuff, and whatever, but most of it doesn't make sense. But um, all in all, uh, you got your professors, you got your peers, and then you take into consideration um, one's own fallen nature. You know, here you got a kid, you know, who doesn't understand why they believe what they believe. And then they're wrestling with the fallen nature with everything that's made available to them Mm. in a in a a university setting and all of a sudden it's like well you know hey uh, this really you know i know my parents didn't teach me this and of course you know you can also believe that truth is relative that that all religions say the same thing or you know morals are relative just go out and do whatever you want to do see that's where the fallen nature kicks in and and goes in and, and starts uh, creating those temptations that uh, that come about and of course we 're having to deal with all these ideologies, isms, and schisms, and of course too, if you 're in the scientific community as a as a as a youth you get evolution hammered, being hammered into you too and we're, having, we're we're seeing that at Germana with a couple of our students, so we had a great time two weeks ago at our at our first meeting for the spring semester
1: so it 's mostly multi, multifaceted coming from different areas. Multi- so.
2: It is, yeah, it is. Uh, you have the professors, you got the peers, you got one's own fallen nature, and all these ideas and everything coming at the at the at the youth today from materialism, relativism, moral relativism, um, religious pluralism, uh, all kinds of morality, um, moral issues, uh, gay marriage, you know, all all being thrown at all the, all of them being bombarded at them, and they're and they're they're with either one being uh they either isolate themselves they either also insulate themselves or they just um turn away when i say isolate themselves is they just stay they just go to class they don't they're not bothered by it they just do their work whatever's required or or, or Mm -hmm. they're doing um they insulate the, the person think just like them and they um, they have their own little huddle and they uh, have their own little encouragement. There's no thinking going on. And then um, the other thing is they they isolate themselves from everything that uh, from the faith altogether and they they defect. So that make, that makes there's you... a lot of work that's needing to be done. There's a lot of uh, apologetics that's needing to be done at the, at the middle school, high school and college level. You know, the you, church
1: level. you you hit on something very, very huge. I think because it, it, it makes me wonder if that's not a microcosm of what's actually taking place in the church today. Because, because of the fact that on popular media and um, you know everywhere you turn, Hollywood and, and all, everything is, seems to be attacking the Christian worldview, and and we're not playing the martyr here. I mean, this is just. Realistic. I mean, you know, our our faith is being attacked from several different venues, and you're seeing how the youth that you've described react to this. It almost seems like that may be part of the reason why we see this insulation, isolation taking place in many churches across America today as well.
2: Well, yeah, because. If you look at if you look at the the, the 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 youth setting as a microcosm, you look at the big picture. How many people in our churches today, as a result of Hollywood, as a result of the media, as a result of the political climate of our culture, are actually sitting there and going wondering whether or not why they whether or not you know is this Christianity really true? Um, Josh McDowell said something that was really sobering uh, a couple couple uh, national conferences ago where if if you go to a hand-raising church where you're hand-raising, uh, you know, where there's a lot of hand-raising going on in your worship, and, and I go to a hand-raising church, and I'll, I haven't done this, and I, I don't know if it would be a good thing, but if you walked up to that person raising their hands and asked them, describe the God that you're raising your hands to, I wonder if they could do it. Yeah. You know, Um, and then um, there's also the question with some of these smaller churches is do your deacon boards and your elder boards. I don't use them like that word board because I've been a pastor Um, and I I know the role of deacons and I know the role of elders. But um, do the elders and the deacons and the leadership believe what the pastor believes? I know you, Brian, and I believe in the inerrancy of scripture. It's It's authoritative, that it's sufficient. Amen. And that um, that uh, it uh, it supports itself, and and, you know it is authoritative for faith and practice in the church. But I wonder how many people sitting in our pews today actually believe like the pastor of the church, Hmm. Um, and that's a result of I think of the influence of culture.
1: Absolutely. I mean, (laughs) and you think about it, we generally meet together for two, three, maybe, two, maybe three hours a week, depending on the uh, times of services. You know, you have an hour on Sunday, you have an hour on Wednesday night. You may have a second, some churches may have an evening service on Sunday. You have three hours compared to the constant bombardment that we have from television, from Hollywood, from from um, YouTube, uh, and so on and so forth. The constant bombardment, the, the great deal of time that people are, in, are uh, spending time with things that are attacking the faith as opposed to things that are uplifting the faith, you know, the, the balance far <laughs> favors uh, the, the culture over the time we spend together as believers, unfortunately.
2: I agree. You know, the interesting thing, you mentioned something in there that struck a chord with me, is the fact that churches uh, not having Sunday evening uh, services. You know, Sunday evening would be wonderful times for discipleship training and even apologetics training. We have churches here in, in Fredericksburg, I lovingly call the Berg, that are shutting down and just having um, the morning services but nothing on Sunday night and moving to life groups. Um, you know, the, the life group thing. And the life groups are good. I'm not not uh, criticizing them. And I think they're you know, there's things that are productive that are going on in them. But you know, having something on Sunday night, like discipleship training, like they used to have back in in the 70s, and, and, and some of the big Baptist churches and a lot of Baptist churches. And um, that'd be a great time for, you know, discussing apologetic issues and, and understanding what apologetics is and why it's necessary. But um, I don't want to chase a rabbit here. <laughs>
1: well, speaking of apologetics, speaking of that, um, you, you are on the front lines in Community College with Ratio Christi, a, a wonderful organization. Um, I highly support the work of Ratio Christi in our colleges and, and schools. Um, you're on the front lines. You're seeing this head on. What apologetic arguments do you find most useful in answering? And I know there are many challenges and we couldn't get into all of them, but looking big picture here, what are some of the most powerful arguments that you find uh, that, are, that are most useful in dealing with the core issues at hand?
2: I think the, um, the biggest argument... Um, is the fact of loving the person that you're talking to. Mm. Uh, You can talk about the cosmological argument, the fact that the universe has a beginning. You can talk about the um, design argument. Um, You can talk about the moral argument. And all of those are powerful arguments. But a lot of times when you're talking to somebody, they want to know that you're genuine and that you care about them. And where does that come from? Mm. Where, does, where does the conscience come from? I could, I could tell you story after story where I've gone and used various arguments. I thought about this when I was looking at these, these questions when you, were, uh, when you sent them to me. And, and I'm thinking, every one of them have a common ingredient. And, and that is the fact of loving the person that you're talking to. You know, a lot of times evangelism and, and even apologetic or pre evangelism, which is another word for apologetics, uh, pre evangelistic discussion. You can um, try and win an argument. But that's all you're doing. Mm-hmm. You're trying to win the soul. Amen. You're trying to win the person. And one of the things that um, uh, that I'm seeing and, and God has really been convicting me over the years and I think it's been hanging around, to listening to guys like Michael Ramston and Stu McAllister and others. Um, that they're not going to listen to us unless they know that we are, that we love them. If you watch any open forum question and answer sessions with Robbie and and Michael Ramston and others on his team, on 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 Robbie's team, they always express a love the person that's asking the question
1: yeah, I've noticed that too yeah
2: and I think that's pretty powerful because you know one it's got to be genuine and it and it is because we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. the ultimate the ultimate command is you know love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul and all your mind that's the first commandment the second one Jesus says like is like it Matthew 22 uh 36 to 40 he says love your neighbor as yourself on these hang all of the commandments and of course there are you got the the first four of the ten commandments with the first one and you've got the the, the second commandment of love your neighbor as yourself that's the, the summarizing the six of, of the ten commandments and then you go to john 13 where jesus says uh, a new commandment i give you that you love your neighbor that you love one another as i have loved you well that falls in line not just with loving our neighbor, but also falls in line with loving our, our fellow brothers and sisters. But to answer your question, the the fact when you talk to an atheist, uh, the the fact that the universe has a beginning, anything that has a beginning has a beginner. The question is now is whether that beginner was personal or impersonal. Mm-hmm. Uh, the very fact that the that the creation itself shows incredible intricate design. Uh, from the cosmos of the universe to the very DNA of our bodies and our beings, I like science. So I mean, we'll go from cos- the cosmos to the inner inner space of our our, our, our DNA and, and and talk about that. The moral argument's pretty strong, uh, but then you end up going chasing all kinds of uh, questions more, with morals, and then of course you have to bring them back. But then um, you get. You get the person to understand that, hey, you know, you have to borrow from my worldview in order to defend your morality if you if you hold that morals are relative. We could go on and on on this.
1: Absolutely, and I think you've touched on the usefulness of apologetics and evangelism as well. Um, you, you have to love the person. And by presenting the apologetics, you're—I you're, think you said—Wednesday night, clearing the clearing the bushes away, uh, clearing the hedges away. Uh, yeah, I did. Yes. And so I think that's a, you,
2: what doing with, with apologetics is basically that—it's bush clearing. It's um, what the Australians call bush clearing. In that, um, we're trying to clear away any type of arguments that somebody might have. We called out those bushes in order that to help the person see Jesus more clearly. Uh, it is not bringing in a dose of confusion to make the Gospel sound more profound. Uh, it is not showing, uh, about showing how heady we are and how smart we are. It's about going and finding out where the person is, answering their questions. And if they have a question, we can go and say, hey, let's sit down and talk about this, and, 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 and we, can, we can get to this, whether the person's a Christian or not a Christian. Um, You know, a lot of Christians have have questions, too, you know, with with the challenges that they face. But um, it's a a new day for evangelism. Um, We can start with the Bible if the person is willing to listen to the Bible. But a lot of times you really have to find out where the person is and where their objection is coming from before you even start sharing the Bible with them.
1: Hey, Amen. You know, recently I posted a two-part uh, article, a two-part series on an article about the, the eight major worldviews, and, and it's incorporating some stuff that I, that I had uh, obtained from my apologetic courses at Liberty, along with what Douglas uh, Gruthius had mentioned in his book as well. And it, it dawned upon me, it dawned on me while I was writing that, that as we approach different individuals, Different individuals are going to have different starting points. Uh, you know, for someone who is maybe under the umbrella of theism, but not a Christian, then then maybe you can start with the Bible once you demonstrate the, the Bible's reliability and kind of go from there. They may be a little more open to that. But for the atheist, yeah. you would have to, the starting point would be pushed back somewhat, and you'd have a different place that, that you would need to begin uh, talking about, Talking about Christianity in general. Now that's we've where we have to listen. Absolutely. Yeah. Now we've talked about the church. We've talked about the um, about, about apologetics. Let's tie this together, and then then I want to ask you to talk a little bit about Ratio Christi and your work with it. But how can the church become better involved in the apologetics enterprise? Because so, you've worked as a pastor, you you're, you're an apologist. How can we as a church? become better involved in this, uh, apologetic landscape.
2: Um, I think we need to, um, that, that there is, wow. Where to begin for the individual, for the, for the person who has a passion for apologetics is to find somebody that shares that passion with you for uh, the pastor who is an apologist, um, they probably ought to start thinking if they're not already, start preaching apologetically because we can tell people what the Bible says and we can say, here's what the Bible says and how it applies to my life, but we need to get to the why mm-hmm. of, of, of why we need to live our life that way. Um, life groups, pastors need to be open to... Uh, somebody who comes up to him and says, hey, I'd like to start a life group about apologetics, be willing to sit down with that person and... and, 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 and
1: um, are you and, still there? And
2: reach that person who is a passion for Wants to find out where they're coming from, and then, um, and then go from there. We have a lot of people that are doubting in the church. We have a lot of people that are wondering why Christianity is true. The church needs to be the hub
1: for apologetic training. Amen, amen. Well that leads us uh, as, as a good segue into our final question today and uh, Rob we again want to thank you for your time being with us uh, here today on the podcast. Uh, tell us about Ratio Christi and your work with it. What What is Ratio Christi and uh, what is it that you do at Germana Community College? Did we lose you? Hello. Hello are you there?
2: Yeah. Um.
1: All right. we apologize, ladies and gentlemen, we had a little bit of a connection issue, but we're back on target, ready to go. Uh, So Rob, we were talking about uh, Ratio Christi and the work uh, that you do at Germana Community College. So, uh, could you explain to our listeners what that's about?
2: Yeah, I'll just uh, rehash because I think, I don't know how much much that our listeners got, but Ratio Christi started about eight years ago, uh, six years ago, I'm sorry, and started off with two students at Appalachian State uh ended up uh, one of those students i think ended up at uh southern evangelical seminary and 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 rasha christie was often and running uh, that first year with nine chapters nine chapters got started there was a passion that got rolling with apologetics in uh in in the schools um now In the six years, Ratio Christi has grown, and God has grown Ratio Christi. It's not anything that man has gone and done. Ratio Christi has started. It's been a brush fire uh, moved by the Holy Spirit. And we are now up to 180 chapters in the continental United States. We are in several countries, and we have a total of 30 countries that Ratio Christi either has started internationally or has paperwork to start. So Ratio Christi has become a global movement um, um, of, of, of apologetics that has just taken off. There's a a, a, a chapter director in Pakistan. Wow. Um, I forget his name right now. Uh, his name slips me, but he did he did an apologetics conference, uh, held an apologetics conference in Lahore, Pakistan, and. They had a thousand students at that at that conference. It was just incredible, just seeing the the Facebook uh, um, uh, announcements or the Facebook postings on it. But Racial Christie is a, it, it not just reaches out to students, but it reaches out to faculty. Racial Christie is international. Racial Christie also has gotten uh, into the college prep arena, where they have some programs. Uh, Already alive and running where they're going and starting early in the churches training uh, youth leaders to train students to be able to stand firm in their faith. So we have um, the college. Uh, we reach out to students, we reach out to faculty, we reach out to churches, we reach out internationally. Russia Christie has just become uh, a huge blessing to the body of Christ not just in the U.S., but also globally. Our work is at Germanic Community College, and um, we've been there three years. We have seen uh, people come to faith in Christ as a result of our students giving uh, reasons for why they believe what they believe. We've had um, a SGA president who was an atheist who was harassing some of our students, and our students loved up on them gave him reasons why his, his arguments were not good. And during the spring semester the break between the December, uh, the fall semester and the spring semester, he went to a church and God saved him. Wow. Um, we, we took our students through the 12 points of uh, why Christianity is true. That pamphlet that we have with Racial Christi, we gave every one of them and they are given them out to students and they were coming. We had a Muslim student come in. Um, on week nine that talked about the trinity and the whole long and short of it all Um, this young this student um um he says i don't believe in the trinity we ended up in a in a pre-evangelism engagement question and answer right in the middle of our meeting and um he, he mentioned that he didn't believe in free will. I mean, he asked me about uh, jinn, which are the good jinn and the bad jinn that are sitting on the shoulder of the Muslim going and trying to get them, one, either to obey Allah or or disobey Allah and go off in a dire- another direction and commit shirk. Um, I asked him, why are you here? And he just looked at me, because if he doesn't have a free will, he's either listening to the tricky jinn <laughs> or he's listening to the free will that he gets, he's denying that he has. He came, the rest of the... He came the rest of the weeks of the semester. We, we had pizza at the end of the uh, of, of the school year, uh, the semester, and we made sure it was halal for him so that he could eat whatever he wanted. And uh, the very first week of the fall semester this year, he was looking for me, wondering if we're, if we're on campus because he wants to come to our meetings. Wow. We haven't seen him yet, but um, um, anytime he sees me, uh, it's always a handshake and a hug. And he says, I really appreciate you. had another student last week who asked me the meaning and purpose of life. And he was talking about passing tests. I said, well, you know, you passed this test in life. You're talking about life's test. And he says, um, well, I, I said, you got another test that you're going to have to pass. I said, do you have friends? And he said, yes. He said, like, think so. And I said, well, um, do they ever let you down? And he said, sometimes, I said, do you think meaning and purpose is found in the relationship? And of course, you know where we're going with this. I shared the gospel with him. Now, he didn't get saved, but he's coming He he's coming now to uh, Bible studies uh, through another Christian club, and he's eventually coming to our Ratio Christi meeting, so he said. But we always... We always have some one-on-one uh, conversations with students before we have our chapter meetings at 5 o'clock. We meet on Thursday, mo- Thursday afternoons, 5 o'clock, and sometimes, Brian, I don't get out of there until 8 o'clock, 8.30, because we're talking to students. Wow. God is, God is really blessing us at Germanna.
1: And folks, if there's ever been a testimony about the untapped potential that's available to the church through apologetics we've we've just heard it from rob i mean you have a professors coming to faith you have individuals from different worldviews different religions uh either coming to faith or giving christianity a hearing uh and so god is moving through this and so i think there is every reason for us uh to incorporate apologetics into our evangelistic paradigm even into our discipleship programs as well uh, as we do um, stand prepared to give a reason for the hope that is within us that's found in Christ Jesus and so uh, Rob we thank you again so much for being with us today my friend we're gonna have to get you back on here again real soon and uh,
2: I thank you for having me come on I'd love to do it again
1: Absolutely. We'll we'll plan on doing that. We'll plan on having you back here again real soon, and and we look forward to having you. For Rob Lundberg, this is Brian Chilton saying God bless, and remember, the truth shall set you free. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie podcast brought to you by BellatorChristy.com.
0: The Bellator Christi podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights are reserved. The views expressed by guests on the podcast are of those expressing them and may not represent those of the host Bellator Christi Ministries or its affiliates. The theme played on the podcast is the song Epic and is produced royalty-free by Bensound Studios, found at bensound.com. Visit bellatorchristie.com and subscribe by entering your email to receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox absolutely free. This podcast can also be found on several podcatchers including iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We thank you for joining us today. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless and we'll see you next time as we enter into the arena of ideas.